Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hi, I'm Bela Musitz, former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and now the David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Clarkson University in Potsdam, New York. And I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences in Münster, Germany. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the podcast. The two of us want to take the lessons that we've learned over the past three decades as entrepreneurs, investors, managers, and professors, and leverage our network of interesting friends, former students, business partners, and others we've met along the way in our life's journey to bring you interesting stories, ideas, and insights into innovation, entrepreneurship, and the people that take unconventional paths to find happiness at work and in life. Before we get to today's guest, who is Mark Campo, uh, a quick thank you to our sponsors, Clarkson University and the Münster University of Applied Sciences. And now let's jump right into it with Mark Campo. And by the way, we apologize if there's a little bit more background noise today than usual in that uh, we're, we recorded this live at uh, Mark's restaurant, Jake's, in Hanawa Falls, New York. Let's get right to it. Hi, this is Mike Wasserman, and I am in Münster, Germany, as per my normal location. And today I'm very pleased to be connected electronically with beautiful Hanawa Falls, New York, where uh, Bela Musitz is with Mark Campo uh, for today's interview. Bela, Mark, how are you guys doing? Terrific, Mike. Yep, we're doing well. Nice snowy day here in uh, upstate New York. Excellent. It's uh, nice to hear that you're getting a, ready for a white holiday and... Uh, that there's a little snow on the ground. I'm sure you're thrilled uh, being the outdoorsman that you both are. Um, it's a nice, warm, I think, 45 degrees here in Münster, which is much better suited for my life of an indoorsman <laughs> and a non-winter sports enthusiast. Uh, but enough about that. So I'm really excited today to introduce Mark Campo. Um, Mark, you're going to have to help me with the dates, but I know that you uh, have taught at Clarkson University uh a entrepreneurship, innovation, marketing, um, going on what close to twenty years now. Yeah, this fall, next fall will be my twentieth year. Okay, so I was pretty close there. Um, and currently, you are uh, the owner of Jake's on the Water, um, and that's been open. I'm going to say three years. June first will be five years. Five years. Yeah, I was off. Big there. milestone. Okay. Um, and I know I'm going to let you describe your kind of rich entrepreneurial history, um, but you have had um, what I would call a very interesting path, career path so far. And both Bela and I thought you would be an amazing guest on this show because we focus on people with interesting career paths. And we focus on people who are interested in small business and entrepreneurship and innovation. And we really, neither of us could think of a more perfect person than you um, to, to be on the show. Okay, so yeah, that's an uh, uh, interesting segue. I, uh, so I think, I, I think, let me just interrupt. Yeah. A great thing is people don't know what Jake's on the water way is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, let me start. Let me go, let me go back a bit as, as quick as I can and, and tell you that when I was in grade school, I was always the winner of the this, uh, fundraising contests, right? I was the guy that always sold the most magazine subscriptions, and I was always the guy that sold the most Christmas cards. Uh, and that was uh, that was what got me all fired up. Um, all the neighbors knew every Christmas uh, that here I came, and I always had the catalog out figuring out which prize I was going to redeem because I was definitely going to break a record that year. There comes little Marky. 
here he comes. Yep, that was me. Um, and I didn't know it then. I had no idea what that meant then and, and the impact that that, that um, you know, desire to sell was going to have on my future. My father was a self-made guy, uh, and I always admired that. He started an architectural firm, um, and we bootstrapped our way through uh, my early childhood, and I understood what that meant. And I, I listened to dining room conversations about startup and, and stress and and failure and success, and, uh, and and I caught the bug at an early age, uh, for sure. I knew people said, what are you going to do uh, with your life? And my answer was always the same. It said, I always would say, I'm going to be playing golf and making money, and I'm not a very good golfer. Uh, and I said that at a young age. I wanted to be independent. I knew that about myself. Um, so... I applied to Syracuse University. I was going to go be my dad's kid and being an architect and take over his firm. And uh, they didn't accept me uh, because I dropped French as a senior. And the policy there was if you drop a class, uh, we just don't get in. My grades were good enough, but... Um, so is this architect architectural school? Yeah, I was going to go be an architect, right? Because that's what you do. My dad was successful. He was independent. Um, I could draw pretty good, and I worked there in the summers, and uh, and I was a good employee, and so that's what I'll do, and, and I didn't get in. And uh, so the journey began, right? Uh, um, you know, and again, I, I knew for sure, I didn't know what I would do. I had no idea what I was going to be, but I knew for sure I was going to be independent, and I was going to be self-made, um, and that was always a priority. Uh, went to uh, SUNY Potsdam. You know why? I was dating a girl who was going to Clarkson, and uh, there was this other school across the river there, um, and they were. Uh, and I looked at a pile of recruitment letters for lacrosse because I was a pretty good lacrosse player. And um, West Point was the one that I should have taken. Um, <coughs> still kick myself <laughs> for that one. But I went to New Potsdam, and uh, and before the first semester ended, she broke up with me, and so here I am up in Potsdam, New York, and. Uh, uh, I had no idea what I was going to do, but I, I was sure I was going to do it independently. Thought about transferring to UNLV for a while. And senior year, well, and you had two already. You had huh? sorry, you had two um, failures, right? You had your failed plan A to go to Syracuse, yep. right? You had failed plan B to go with the the girlfriend, yep. and I would argue that these are good. Training experiences, as hard as they are, I'm sure, to be 17, 18, 19 years old at the time and go through all these things. But, right, entrepreneurship, having failures, overcoming these things. Did you have some sense that this was a moment of resilience or were you just like, oh, this sucks and I'm just going to figure out what's next? Well, Mike, that's the first time I've ever thought about those two events as failures, but you're absolutely right. I, I'm I'm honestly waiting for the failure, right? I, I'm we teach this stuff, and we talk about the, the value of failure, uh, and I'm terrified of failure for sure. I mean, that's what we do. We live in fear of that failure, and I've never, I, I'm waiting for it to happen, but you're right. Uh, you already did. Those you were, already, that's why. Thank you. you. Got Good. I'm so relieved yeah, now to discover that my failures are behind me. They yeah, just we're, were disguised a little Everybody bit. Everybody lives happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. This is the best podcast ever, isn't it? All right. Thanks for your time, Mike. Have a good Christmas. Yep. Have a good one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my okay, so you're at you're at SUNY Potsdam. Yep, um, floundering. Did you did you study this stuff? No, no, I studied uh, industrial labor relations because that uh -huh. sounded businessy, and that was union management negotiations. 
Um, and I hated every minute of it. Um, but, <laughs> but I needed to get that degree because that's what you do. And, uh, and I'm uh, somehow going to leverage this to become independent. Uh, and I have a summer job at a hotel as a bartender. And I did a really good job there. Made great money. And the owner of the hotel just gave me total independence and let me kind of run that place. Or really run the place. I came back in uh, early that uh, my senior year and, and went to a local uh, bar restaurant and said, uh, you need me. <laughs> and uh, Larry Hazen, uh, we all know, the locals know Larry. He's a legend in the community. And, and he hired me and took a shot at me. And, uh, and I ran the bar. Uh, ended up, uh, before I was finished my senior year, running the whole place. I was hiring. I was firing. I was buying. I was scheduling. Uh, and I and I learned how good I was at that, and so um, there became my independence. I I said I can do this really well, um, but I recognized that I needed to have a bit of a portfolio there. So I graduated from SUNY Potsdam with a degree in industrial labor relations, uh, and went to work for Larry Hazen for five hundred dollars a week, <laughs> and I had to negotiate that rate. <laughs> pretty aggressively and i think the outcome was if i promised to work 60 hours a week he'd pay me that pay me that 500 dollars a week <laughs> um and i learned a lot you know I, uh, I i ran that business and i learned a lot um but i still wasn't independent enough and there was a space available across the street a little tiny 500 square foot spot for 500 bucks a month and i learned then how much the college students loved the uh, the tchotchke, you know, the the T-shirts and the hats. So uh, I worked out with all the suppliers that I met through Larry Hazen, and I opened up a shop called The Brewery selling Budweiser logoed material. <laughs> I had shirts and towels and uh, key bi- bottle openers and you name it. But just just kind of souvenirs and tchotchke stuff. Not Souvenirs that, and that tchotchke. Was it. It's embarrassing to talk about it now as I look back on it, but, but at that time in my life... Uh, you're 21. I'm independent, you know, and yeah. and, and I'll tell you the truth. Uh, and my wife makes fun of me about this all the time. Still today, she says, "You know, remember that day? There was a Saturday, and 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 at that point, I remember saying, if we could bring in a hundred dollars a day, we're going to be rich." And we on a Saturday, we brought in a hundred dollars by eleven o'clock, so we closed the shop and went to a beer blast. <laughs> True <laughs> story. We really did. <laughs> Well, that was a good enough day, so off we go. We're going to go have some fun with the college students in the area, and, and that's that's what we did. So I just want to go back to the to the Syracuse <laughs> thing for a second. So yeah. you had thought about architecture for a long time, it sounds like. Yes. And this one no from Syracuse just totally changed that track, or did you apply to other architecture schools? No, my father, who was incredibly successful, built a, built a wildly successful firm, went to a two-year um, SUNY school, and he called the dean there. And he had such respect at the school and said, my son, uh, I think, would be a good addition. And the dean said, he's accepted unconditionally. So my dad said, listen, I've got it all set up. You can go here. And I don't know why that, I don't know why I rejected that. I don't know if it was because my dad got it for me or if it because it wasn't Syracuse. Um, but I rejected that notion, and I said, you know, maybe it was time for me to be independent, maybe. Um, but I said, no, I've got a different plan. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by the decisions we make in life. <laughs> at, at some point in time, they're oftentimes not well thought out. <laughs> they're, they're sort of just off the cuff, but they have a huge influence on sort of 
where our life goes, whether it be a relationship or whether it be a career or where you go to college, et cetera. It just, it's kind of fascinating to me. At least I, I know for me it's that way. But you got to own them, right? You got to, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You got to own it. Good or bad, you got to own them. And, and I think um, as I wrap up my first semester here and I think about the impact that we as, as faculty have on our students, I think that's one of the important lessons that we share with them is that the decisions are all yours. But they're all yours, right? So if they're good, good for you and own that and celebrate that. But if they're bad, they're on you. Right, and uh, and that decision was certainly on me, and um, you know I, I try to look back with no regret. I think I think West Point would have been good for me, and if I think back on regret, I I think it would have been a good cadet, and I think it would have been a really good thing for me. Um, but I wouldn't have met my wife, and uh, you know the path would have been different. Your whole yeah, the, <laughs> right? whole, the whole path is different yeah. on that little decision. Yeah, yeah for sure, it's remarkable, for sure. So I uh, had this business selling T-shirts and commodities and commodities uh trinkets really is all it was and and uh and that was uh that was that was a fun time for sure because it was so simple oh my god life was so simple i didn't know it then uh a customer stumbled in with this idea about brewing your own beer at home this home brewing fad was really hot then we're talking about 1987 um so we jumped on that bandwagon and we built um we built a thriving business around home brewed material we sold to all 50 states before before computers and shipping and Amazon were even a, you know, a thought then, and we had some inventions. We got patents and we sold cool stuff in that really small niche industry. And so uh, you're selling equipment to home brewers. Yeah. So the, the title, of the brewery, was around beer paraphernalia. So the home brewing phenomenon fit nicely into that, and that's where we ended up really growing the business. I mean, we really grew the business. We became very quickly a leader in. Uh, and distributing homebrewing products to that person, that niche market. And the funny thing is I never made a batch of beer in my life. I wasn't into it. I was, in, I was into being independent. I was into selling stuff. I never mailed a Christmas card, but I sold a ton of them, right? Uh, and here I am finding this opportunity uh, and chasing that opportunity to try to be independent and, and grow a firm around this idea, uh, but no interest in the idea. Uh, and it worked out. It worked out. So... Grew that to the point where I met more people and and ended up buying some property. So before you go there, I think this is another sort of interesting uh, thing to to highlight. Oftentimes you hear about pursuing your passion. Someone mm. loves brewing beer, or they love mm. skiing, or they love some endeavor, and they try to build their career around that. My conclusion is you love selling stuff. I did. You do. you you're you're adrenaline popped. When, when someone purchased something. So it's not that you love the microbrewing business. You loved selling stuff to people who were willing to buy microbrewing stuff. I love selling stuff to people yeah, who would buy stuff. Yeah, and T-shirts. Doesn't matter what it was. Doesn't matter what it is. Even yeah. when you were a kid, right? right that theme, kid. That theme's Oppor- consistent. Opportunity recognition. I mean, if we go back to the teaching kind of moment, right? All the common thread is opportunity recognition. Mark, you saw an opportunity... Right. And 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 jumped on it. Right. Use your resources. I'm, I'm using things that I think you taught me. Right. But um, but saw the opportunities and pulled the resources together to make it happen. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And and I never I never made any pretense about that. So a customer would come in and ask questions about how to brew this great batch of beer. And I would tell them what I knew because someone else had told me that I wouldn't tell them what I knew because I did it because I never did it. 
uh, and I was part of the sell. You know, you had to you had to be an educated seller. Didn't mean you had to be passionate about the product. Right. That worked out for me. Right. So property became the next thing, and we grew property. Uh, uh, leverage. I learned how to leverage. I learned how to how to measure equity, how to grow equity through property acquisition, um, and I got really good at that. So my game was to continue to buy property without ever spending any money out of my pocket and then to generate revenue through those properties to um, to pay debt down to build asset, to build equity. So this is rental property or Lots some kind of, of rental income, property. income yep. producing we'd, properties? We'd buy one and uh, buy it on a deal and instantly have equity, leverage that equity to buy another one that was on a deal. And we kind of had... You know, we had a couple of partners involved in that that time of my life, and and we became known as the people who would buy stuff if it was a good deal. And so people were coming to us all the time with, uh, "Here's a house. Uh, the poor woman lost her husband. It's a great property, but she doesn't want it anymore." You know, we thought of you, and so all right, what's it appraised for? What, what's she willing to take for it? Um, is that is that within the twenty percent limit that the bank's asking us for? So if we can grab it. Uh, and the equity position is enough that uh, satisfies the twenty percent. Let's go. If you're going to mow one lawn, mow ten. If you're going to m- plow one driveway, plow ten. And so we grew a bit of a real estate empire with that philosophy and and some young energy uh, to make that happen. And and this is all in upstate rural New York, right here. I want my whole deal was if I can't touch it, I don't want to own it. And that was just my approach. Was it had to be had to be right here. I need to know the property really well. And, and I'll tell you that that was pretty important because the ice storm of 1991, four, four, one, hit Potsdam pretty hard. Um, it devastated our community. Uh, we were without power for 21 days. Uh, and um, because I knew the property, it was close enough, the property had enough connections, property survived, and we made huge money. Uh, uh, on that ice storm, uh, we had a laundromat, <laughs> <laughs> and all the power workers needed uh, needed their laundry done. So it didn't matter what the price was; uh, they were they were they were willing to pay. Uh, so we built equity around laundry for a bit there. <laughs> there you go, sell, sell, sell. Um, and then uh, the Clarkson career pro- arrived, and uh, and I found some real enth- real opportunity there to go to Clarkson and spend time with students, and and, and uh, I really enjoyed the time with them. So talk a little bit about how that sort of uh, appeared. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So a home brewer, uh, his name was Fred Menz. He was a passionate home brewer, and he was the dean of the School of Business at Clarkson. And he said to me, I, I don't know what he picked up on, whether it was uh, you know the passion for business or the passion to sell or whatever it was, but he said, I got this first-year class that I'm struggling to, to get covered, and I think you'd be great at it. Would you give it a try? Um, and I said, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like a fantastic opportunity. Um, and, I, and I did it, and I loved it um, so much that uh, – uh, it turned into a full-time career, you know, and that was 20 years ago now. So the idea about uh, taking these young minds and, and sharing with them the opportunity that comes from being an entrepreneur and thinking about opportunity and, and becoming independent uh, was attractive uh, and super rewarding, really, really rewarding. And uh, it's pretty close to when I met you, Mike. Not long after yep. I arrived at Clarkson, I, I met you, and, and you know, and together we, we shared our enthusiasm for business and 
and boy, the outcomes are pretty exciting when you think about some of our some of our uh, our young students who have built great things, who are now uh, getting old, which is really frightening. <laughs> yeah. Right? I think you're going to see some of our students' kids pretty soon walking through the door. Uh, yeah, from those early uh, days. Uh, then it's time to leave for sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm at Clarkson, so, and, uh, and I'm loving teaching, and um, we, I'm a goal-oriented guy, so we chase goals. We want to be ranked, and we want, we want all these uh, exciting things to happen. Uh, and uh, an editor at Forbes um, says, geez, we got this tiny little school in upstate New York that's ranked in multiple programs. How the heck are they doing that? And he gives me a call, and I meet in New York with him, and this exciting lunch with him. And... He says, we have ignored the small business owner for too long. Would you write a column uh, to those people? And for seven years, I wrote a column, Dear Mom and Pop. And that was just the tiny issues that little tiny Main Street entrepreneurs who are maybe making 100000 maybe 500000 a year are wrestling with became my obsession. And that was really fun. Uh, it turned into a course we called My Small Business 101, and we put over a 1,000 entrepreneurs in a rural upstate New York through this course about the realities of uh, of small business. And, you know, I, I never forget a, an economic developer called it a rah-rah course. Uh, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it was, we can do this together. And we we got to fight the good fight, and we got to keep our, uh, keep our, keep our chin up. But... We can build these on these main streets, and we can beat these WalMarts and these Amazons together if we stay focused on on what we're trying to build together. Um, so that was a really interesting time to to be so obsessed with those little guys <laughs> that that I think means so much to uh, uh, to so many communities. That's it's, the, it's the backbone of many communities. Well, and they're coming back, right? They're they're coming back, and that's exciting to think about. Uh, we got nationally ranked in entrepreneurship at Clarkson. Uh, we got endowed. We have a, a wonderful donor, David Ray, who's meant a lot to uh, to all three of us, um, who who believed in what we were doing and 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 came through with uh, the funds that we needed to do to grow it. And uh, I'll never forget sitting in the Lowe's parking lot. My phone beeped and said, "We're you're ranked in the top 20." And I looked at my wife and I said, "Look at that!" And she's like, "Good for you." And I said, "Well." Time to move on. <laughs> you know, we, we, we did what we set out to do. Goals were achieved. Um, time to go do something else. And there was this little property in Hanawa Falls that sat on the waterfront that had been neglected for far too long um, that she and I tried to purchase several years before, but life got in the way. And, uh, and I said, I think I want to go do that again. And she said to me, either we're going to do this or we're always going to wonder if we should have. Uh, so we struck a deal with the owners and, and we bought a dilapidated old building that uh, needed a whole lot of TLC. Um, you know, here we sit uh, five years later and Jake's on the water that's about to do uh, $1.75 million, uh, in revenue in a tiny little upstate New York town with 40 employees and throwing a half million bucks a year back into the community and uh, I'm older and, ex- and, and exhausted and, and wonder what the heck I'm doing here um, but I know exactly that I, this is what I had to do you know, I had to circle back and you know, prove that I could pull off the, pull off the big one that's where we are
Yeah, and I like the, it's almost back to where you began, back where you were running the bar yeah. for Larry Hazen, right? It's like, it's this interesting um, full circle, I think, that's neat. And this is where the podcast is doesn't do things justice. And I'm sure a lot of visitors uh, will have, or a lot of our listeners will have a hard time imagining what we're talking about. So I'll try to visually describe the setting a little bit. And um, it's what I would call a small lake or a large pond, beautiful, treed, rural area, winding two-lane road uh, runs in front of it. And what was this dilapidated house is now this beautiful space um, with an outdoor deck for the summertime, a boat launch where you can canoe up, right, and, and, and go to the bar and grab a drink. Beautiful wood floors, beautiful fixtures, a bar. What The Amish guy built the bar for you out of mm. local hardwood. Um, beautiful ironwork, um, windows, floor to ceiling, looking out over this beautiful view, uh, four seasons. Um, and, and just a really miraculous space, um, considering what was there before, um, and really what else is going on. And then, yeah, I think the, the challenges of, um, it's what, 10 minutes from, from town. Yeah, and I, right. just for your listeners, if you go to jakesonthewater.com, you get a pretty good visual of the location that we're in right now. I think there's some photos there that'll help you see that. Um, yep. Yeah, we're like 10 minutes from town. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're 7 to 10 minutes from two universities and, and 10 minutes from a, from, a, from a major employer that is our hospital, too. So the population is here um for sure if i could go back though to the space you know we um <clears throat> we love the space i i have no idea how to run a restaurant i'd never run a restaurant uh i really literally can't cook samples campbell's soup without burning it i don't know if it's milk or water what you put in that thing but i uh, i always fail to make that happen <clears throat> but i just love this property and i brought my father the architect up and uh I said, Dad, let's take a look at this property. I really think I want to buy it. And uh, we drove around it because the owner didn't know we were interested yet. And we kind of sneaked around and went across the lake and peered at it from binoculars and stuff. And and uh, I remember we parked in the parking lot. And uh, I said, what do you think, Dad? He goes, i got to be honest with you, son. You sure bulldozing it's not an option? <laughs> I said, Dad, there's too many memories in that space. we got to save the space. And he said, okay, you got to start with the foundation and we'll go from there. Uh, so we literally ripped every bit of this building out that we could. We had no electrical, no plumbing. Uh, we had no insulation. We, we tore the roof off. We tore one complete section off. <clears throat> and there was a day in January when we were um, burning wood in a fireplace that, that should have burnt the place down because the flue wasn't even open. I, didn't, I, didn't, I found out later. Trying to stay warm. And I begged my wife to come out because we had put our first wall up. And so there was progress. And she came in and begrudgingly came in, uh, stomped her feet off at the door for her snow and walked over to the fireplace and said, what do you want? I said, look. She said, can you see it? And she goes, well, can I see what? And I said, well, four walls in a dream. And she goes, look to your right. It's only three walls. <laughs> and she walked out and left. <laughs> and she didn't come back for a month. <laughs> Um, but you know that that's that was the most exciting day to me. I think if I think back on it, was we'd stripped it down to nothing, and in my mind I could see the engagement that happened here last night. I could see the you know the the graduation celebrations. I could see the baby showers and um, and, and the, the champagne glasses tinking uh, to celebrate a birthday or, what, or whatever's happening. Um, I I. 
I, you know, I ignored the cost, uh, <laughs> um, but I had, I knew, I knew it was going to work, uh, and um, um, there was a lot of naysayers. You know, there's a lot of people that said uh, you're never going to make it work, and then and and then then when the parking lot was full for a few consecutive days, those were the same people that pulled in and said, well, I knew somebody was going to make this work. Um, but but that the reward for us both has never been financial. Um, we're proud to own the asset and we own it with the bank. The the pride comes from those moments, you know, when we get it right. And we've gotten it wrong a lot. But when you get it right and you look over at that table and you see those people who are celebrating in a moment that they may not have had the opportunity to celebrate if we hadn't if we hadn't had the courage to do what we did. Uh, that's pretty exciting. And those employees, I get thank you notes from employees when they buy a new car. That is incredibly rewarding to get a note like that. And I don't know if they've the words out that I love that, but I get that all the time. It's my new couch I bought. Thank you. Um, and, you know, standing in front of that fireplace when we only had three walls and a dream. Uh, that's pretty exciting. That's where we are today, and 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 it's it's successful. It's got its continues to have its cash flow challenges and it continues to have personality challenges and we we're still trying to develop our brand and uh and deal with the changing competition and we're changing regulations every day um but you know but I, but i think we're over the hump i think we're i think we're at the point now where we can feel pretty good about what what it's going to be for a long time one of the things that impresses me mark and i was uh, you know being 10 minutes away from everything is you made yourself part of the community and the community comes to you, right? Almost everybody who comes to your restaurant has to drive 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes to get out there. And and they do. And you've created a place for people where they can celebrate or where they can relax or where they can enjoy a, um, a meal um, or a drink. Um, and you created this atmosphere that has become kind of a magnet. And I think that's really special and unique well, challenge. Yeah, right? but I think in, if you cool. think about more urban environments... Uh, a 10 or 15 minute drive is nothing Mm -hmm. but the reality of our environment is that we're what you'd call a destination so we have a a a thriving and beautiful downtown environment with lots of restaurant options and the advantage those restaurants have is that they have flexibility with their hours because if uh if you if someone comes to have dinner at maxfields for example and then they've chosen to take sundays off well the customer could go around the corner to one of uh one of one of that family's other restaurants that is open um, here. If someone drives out here uh, and the perception is it's a drive when in reality, it's really not. Uh, and we've chosen to take a night off. Um, the impact on that is significant. They aren't going to come back because we disappointed them and they're not quite sure what our hours are. So the trade-off is our commitment to being open all the time and, and the cost of that. Um, but being out here and being independent and being able to take advantage of the beauty of this area and avoid the tax that is the village tax <laughs> does give us some advantage. What have been some of the challenges that you overcome? I mean, I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast are people who are thinking about starting a small business. Um, and, you know, you started successfully um, multiple. What are some of the challenges that you've seen um, that maybe you can pass on some words of advice uh, to the listeners? I don't ever want to, uh, I always worry about throwing a, a wet blanket on a fire. Uh, so if you're if you're passionate about an idea and you've and you've done enough research to understand that there's a demand that exists and and you've done enough work to feel good about your numbers because the numbers are always the key 
you know, off you go. But the biggest thing I see and the biggest struggle that we have had and continue to still have today is the cost of growth. Uh, it costs so much money to grow. My projections to the bank when when we when we pitched this idea was, ah, maybe we'll do maybe four hundred thousand bucks in the first year, and you know, by year five would be great if we were doing a million dollars. That's the giant number that we're all excited to be able to say. We did 1.2 million in our first year and almost went out of business. I mean, really, we're precarious there for a bit because the cost of that rapid growth was something that I never saw coming. So can you be more specific about what those costs were? Uh, okay. Um, Payroll is massive, and we have committed, and I'm not ashamed to say it, we've committed to always doing everything 100% above board. Everything we do um, is according to, to the law that we need to abide by, and that means every employee is on the books, and we pay every single tax we need to pay. Um, it's a massive, massive expense, massive expense. So, so one of the things is the expense comes before the revenue. Yeah, right. So quite you often. hire the employee. And that, that expense is instantaneous and it's full, and the revenue is ramping up more slowly. We didn't know how to be efficient. We didn't know how. How the heck do you serve? Oh, okay, here's, here's a guy that's again, can't open a can of Campbell Soup well, who's about to serve 180 people um, many nights in a row. I have no idea how to do that. I'll never forget the, the first night we're in business and my, all of my servers are huddled around me who are experienced saying, um, okay, we're here to get our tip-outs. Like, well, what is that? Well... <laughs> You got a lot of our money on credit cards. Well, we want it. Well, time out. Before you take money out of my drawer, I got to understand this. What's this mean? You know, and um, <laughs> and come to find out, not only do I that needs to be part of their paycheck, but they need to get taxed on that, <laughs> right? Um, which is an expense that I incur um, to the tune of annually seventy grand, and then I get it back as a tax credit in April. I don't predict that. I didn't see that coming. Um, so these are cash flow surprises. Shocks, not surprises. Shocks, you know. Um, uh, emptying the septic tank. Every time we empty, empty our septic tank, and given our volume, that's every, depending on, our, on, on time of year, every two months, 800 bucks. To clean our Ansel system, which is required by the state of New York to have be inspected three times a year at 180 bucks an inspection, to clean it three times a year to be safe and in compliance is 700 bucks. Um, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Every day, there's there's there was some new surprise. CO2 to push the draft beer out of our system. 280 bucks a month, right? And these don't sound like big numbers, but you add 50 of these up. <laughs> Silverware, uh, dishwasher detergent, you know, like we don't, you don't plan on the cost of dishwasher detergent. It's close to 400 bucks a month. That's a lot of meals you got to sell. That's a lot of meals in, a, in an economy um, that isn't wealthy, right? And so how do, you, how do you assure a price point where people will come back because we need them to come back um, that covers those cash flow issues? So, so one clear message is you really got to watch the numbers, right? You really got to watch. You really got to watch the numbers. So, another question I have is, you're in the restaurant business. There's lots of restaurants. So, how do you sort of position yourself in the market? This is one about finding your niche to give people a reason to come here versus going to other restaurants. I mean, people want a meal. 
So why, what, how do you position that for have people come here to get that meal versus go to other places? And, and I understand that now. i got to be honest, I didn't understand that when we opened. I wanted to buy this piece of property. I knew that it was going to be beautiful, and I knew people would come here and eat. But I didn't care about what they ate. I didn't, I didn't think that through. And it's crazy to say that now, but I didn't. Uh, and we're going to serve kind of pub food, and they'll come and get a burger and some wings, and off we go. Um, that would have never made it. We could have never made it work on that because everybody's selling those products. Uh, we don't have, I think about your listeners, I think we don't have the kind of competition that many of them have in more urban areas, but we have competition. And fortunately for us, most of them are selling the same thing, chicken wings and burgers. And it's a college town. We need to figure out how to be different. And I stumbled upon serendipitously an incredibly talented chef who understands how to make flavor happen. Um, and that's become, that's become our thing. Um, we're known for, for really great food that's sourced locally. But you know what? Sourced locally is a dime a dozen. Everybody's doing that. That's no big deal anymore. Um, so we become known for a place where you can consistently get food that just tastes great. And we've got to figure out how to do that in a way that people can afford to come more than once a month. Right now, right when when May hits uh, and it's graduation season and and, and the, the water is so beautiful and people are coming from all over the place to come enjoy the atmosphere. Not so hard, but uh, but but November through February, we're relying on a much smaller population to enjoy great flavor at a at a price that they can afford. So it changes, you know. It's 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 so complicated, and and so and how do you how do you build that clientele? How does that work in this in this industry? Right. Some people think about, you know, talk to students. Oh, I'm going to use social media to promote my idea. Mm. How does how does that work in reality for for a business like this? And again, I'm I'm going to go back to our our, our location is unique in that we're 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 somewhat rural, but we have two. Um, two colleges and a, and a hospital. So, so you've got different dynamics. We've got we've got a somewhat impoverished, somewhat rural community, and we've got um, some people of taste and affluence who who are looking for a, a more fine dining experience. And how do you balance both of those? We've got a burger on our menu every day, um, but we'll we'll also serve. Um, you know, uh, what are we I'm trying to think of? One of our more extravagant dishes, you know, a bluefish. Um, someone said, I, I never thought I'd see, uh, uh, see bluefish being served in, uh, in Hanawa Falls. Uh, and I remember saying, no, we're not, we're not just serving it. We're, we're selling out. Right. <laughs> but, um, you gotta just, you just gotta pay attention to who's coming to the door. Social media works for sure, but it's word of mouth here. It's someone saying, I found a great place, which means those first guests have to have a great experience. It takes time, more time than you'd think. Am I answering that? Very good. Yeah. It's complicated. We think about numbers all the time, and, 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 I, and I want to help, uh, help listeners think about that. Every dollar that comes in, you got to think about out of that dollar, what are the costs? And we think about in this business what's called prime cost, which is the combination of your labor and your cost of goods sold. So the product that goes out the door with that purchase whether it's you sell a t-shirt, it's the t-shirt, that's your cost of goods, or you're selling a, um, a burger, it's the cost of the ground beef and the bun and all the wraparound items and the bread service and all that goes with it. And you got to combine that with your labor. 
And we have to, have to, have to be below 65% on our prime cost. So 65 cents of every dollar um, is, is, is allowable to be, to be profitable, to cover the rest of those costs, the, the dishwasher detergent and the septic tank pumping and the, you know, and the CO2 and all those other costs I was talking about. Uh, and, and we watch it every day, every single day. Uh, and I've got a, a leadership team that's got accountability in those areas. And we sit down at this very table once a week on Thursdays, and I say, here's where we are month to date, here's where we are year to date. And, um, you know, and together we, we wrestle with those numbers. And we didn't hit them this summer. We, it's always a balancing act. Your cost of goods sold goes up. Your payroll goes down. Your payroll goes up. Your cost of goods sold goes down. Uh, and I'm convinced, and I've challenged my team this summer to hold those two in check. And I know we can do it. And that's exciting to think about. And and and, and I had to get my leadership team to get excited about it because they're terrified of it. I'm like this is exciting. We can do this, but but it's you know it's a kind of a team effort to pull this off. So talk a little bit about hiring. How do you how do you think about hiring people? What's your process? Yeah. In upstate New York, where we are, we don't call it a, a, a talent pool. We call it a talent puddle, <laughs> you know, <laughs> particularly in the industry that we're in. Um, it's a different breed, and we're talking restaurants here. Uh, let's be more generic. Um, you're going to hire people, and you've got to recognize, and this is a lesson that I learned early on It was important. You've got to recognize what they're working for. They're working for a paycheck. They're, that's it. End of story. You know, if you're trying to find people that are going to be as passionate about your business as you are, best of luck. It's just never going to happen. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and I got caught up in that, and I, and I couldn't understand why people wouldn't drop everything and run in because we were busy. Well, because they had a life, you know. And, and I'd scheduled, and they, they committed to the schedule, but they didn't commit to being at my beck and call. Um, they're working for a paycheck. Um, but they're working to be in an environment they like to be in. And so my approach has always been to give them an environment they feel really good in, to pay them the best I can possibly pay them, and to be super grateful for what they give us. Uh, and, and that's paid off. you know, you got to have people that give your guests a good experience. And if they don't feel good about what they're doing, it's just not going to happen. And so as, as you hire and interview people mm-hmm. uh the front end of the house yeah right is is uh very different maybe personality wise in the back dramatic than the kitchen so to speak so talk a little about how you think about hiring those people and the characteristics you look for okay so i get an application and the first thing i do is I go on facebook and i'm not a facebook guy i mean i i think i have an account i'm not sure but i know i can get in there and i look them up and I see what they're all about. I, I see what makes them tick. What are, what are their interests and, uh, and how do they present themselves? And you can learn a lot. <laughs> and, and so the decision is based on what I see about who they seem to be. Is this the kind of person that would gel with our team? Because our team is perfect. And I think I really do believe that. Our team, they love to work together. Um, when they're not at work, they're together because they just enjoy, enjoy who, the, who they are as a team. So is this person going to fit or not? And when I think I got a, uh, a good lead there, I'll interview them and just kind of get a vibe of what their motivation is. Uh, why, why do you want to work here? Um, and then we test them out. We call it working interviews. Everybody works two shifts with, with people who I think are great judges of, the, mm. uh, of, of whether they're going to fit or not. Um, 
and after that two shifts I check in with our team and if they think they're a good fit then I meet with the employee and I ask them if this is a good fit for them does this meet what you're trying to accomplish uh, and if it's a good match off we go but we've made lots of mistakes but we've we've made a lot of good hires that way too but if they don't pass the sniff test from the crew <coughs> never gonna work you don't you don't overrule that never never and it's not a power struggle. It's just I know that that dynamic is so important. Yes. And they're good judges probably. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I think in this business you get it or you don't. There's no gray area. You can't take someone that doesn't get what the chaos of a Saturday night at 7 o'clock is and teach that to them. You put them in a Saturday night at 7 o'clock, and if they thrive, off we go. If they don't, it's just not going to work. You can't train that. And every business is different. Yeah. 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 How are we doing? Amazing. Yeah. Great. Great. My last question. Yeah. I think we have listeners who are wondering whether they should take a leap and try something different and unique, right? Maybe they're working a corporate job. Maybe they've been out seven, eight, nine, ten years, um, and they're and they're thinking of trying something creative um, and entrepreneurial. What's your advice to those people? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot more to the question than that. You know, I, I guess I, <clears throat> I would challenge them to understand why, why they're not content. Right? If, if you're not content at at the current career because you're not, you're not taking home the money you think you ought to take home, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> right? Uh, it's just being honest. I don't, I don't. I can't think of any entrepreneur who's. Uh, who's gotten rich real quick um, and the challenges are significant if you're if you're not feeling fulfilled um, which I think has always been important to me if if you're not feeling fulfilled by your career and you think chasing something independent would 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 be fulfilling let's go right for sure uh, there's uh, I'm always about not living with regret and, it, I, and I'd hate to I'd hate to finish my career at a place I'm unhappy with because I'm feeling unfulfilled and never having given it a shot. There's a lot of legwork, and the reality of it is, uh, as I said to students today, every day is a challenge. Every single day, there's some new roadblock you're going to bump into. Every single day, um, you know. This morning, I came in, and the and the drain to our soda dispenser was plugged, and so I got out a coat hanger and I cleared the plug, and off we went. And I thought, oh my gosh, if that's it today, what a great day! I'm going to accept that that's my challenge. <laughs> you know, other days. Uh, you know, you, we had a last week. We had a twenty-five hundred dollar uh, real important piece of equipment go down, and spent fifteen hundred dollars trying to fix it before we realized we should have just bought another twenty-five hundred dollar piece of equipment, which is now in the kitchen. That's a challenge. It's no fun, right? Um, but as I said to the students, once you today, I said that once you get past the challenge, the excitement or the fulfillment that comes from having accomplished it, having worked your way through that roadblock and conquered it. Uh, that's rewarding, uh, and that's entrepreneurship. That's every day, every single day. Love it. Great advice. <laughs> All right, I think we are well over time, but it was a very fast 45 minutes uh, and a very great story to hear um, your path, Mark. Um, Mark Campo on the faculty at Clarkson University teaching entrepreneurship, marketing, um, whatever it is they need you to teach, you're there, which is great. Um, owner of Jake's on the Water in Hanawa Falls, New York. Look it up. It's worth the trip. 
and uh, we appreciate your time. Bela, any last remarks, questions, complaints? So I think there was one thing that really stuck out at me, and that was this entrepreneurial spirit about selling. And as I once heard a company say, their motto was, nothing good happens until a sale is made. And because that drives everything. And you, you clearly have had this drive. And it's just, I mean, it's a common theme throughout when you were selling things in elementary school all the way to today. You're, yeah. you're selling meals. And yeah, you're but figuring I say, out how I to sell say, them. Like, I think it's super important uh, um, that you're not selling to make money. I don't, I don't think, you know, the result obviously will be profitability and, and at some point certainly some, some, some ability to do some fun things. But if you're selling to make money, it's a long road to home. You're selling to fulfill a need. You're selling, you're selling to fulfill And the word a need. need is multifaceted. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to say it for sure. You know, the need, the need to pay the bills, the need to give your community something that they're proud of, the need to give other people a job that they feel good about. Um, the need to, to be independent has, has always been huge for me. Um, but, yeah, it's a good way to say it. Yeah, yeah. It's been fascinating, Mark. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Mike, good to see you. Yeah, great to see you, Mark. Thanks. That was a great interview, Bella. Thanks for uh, going to Jake's and uh, hopefully snacking on something good and uh, having a neat conversation with uh, with Mark, who, as he said, is a, a longtime friend of mine, um, somebody I've learned a lot from. Um, but I thought even – Knowing him for all these years, he I learned a lot about him that I didn't know before. And there were a lot of great lessons that I think um, we can pull out of this. The first thing I thought that was really amazing was his ability to recognize opportunities. Um, and it's almost intuitive with him that he found um, services that were needed, products that were needed that people would pay money for. Where do you think that comes from? Boy, that's a great question, Mike. I, I don't. I don't really know. You know, is that something you are born with? Is it something you you acquire or learn? I, I think to some extent, it, he he's a person who's willing to take some risk. He's he's willing to try something new. I mean, if you if you look at him, right, he started selling stuff door to door when he was in in school. You know, selling the magazine subscriptions for those fundraisers for the elementary school and the junior high and stuff. And those kids drove me nuts when I was young, by the way, you know, I like, how do these kids do this? I was mortified of really looking at, you know, going to the next door neighbor. Right. Yes. And yet, yeah, there were always, there's always a couple of kids like Mark who just love this stuff and are great at it. And it, yeah, it was, it's amazing. But yeah, he's right from the start. He was, uh, he was doing this, which is interesting, you know, and, and that leads to another, I think, interesting thing about Mark is the businesses that he were in the, the content of those businesses we're not his passion. I think everybody else we've talked with, it's like, oh, I'm passionate about fabric or I'm passionate about coffee or what have you. And Mark's like, I like to sell things to people. I like to create value for people. I like to see satisfied customers. And that's transferable to lots of other industries if you can acquire the content-specific knowledge that you need or the industry-specific knowledge that you need. Have you ever met people like this, Bella? Very, very few. Most people are passionate about their concept or their idea or their technology. And, and Mark gets satisfaction from providing value to customers. A lot of other entrepreneurs that you come across get value and satisfaction from 
making the next iteration of their widget or you know making releasing the next version of their software and so mark i think is and this skill that mark has i think is absolutely critical to have a successful business successful entrepreneurs successful businessmen all have this cuz they understand without customers you don't have a business and i think the interesting thing about mark is this is his key and primary asset that he has is this ability to and desire to satisfy customers. And he doesn't really care all that much whether he's doing rental properties or whether he's in a retail store selling uh, T-shirts or he's running a restaurant. He wants to provide value to customers. And I think in the long run, that is an important and critical and absolutely necessary characteristic for a successful business person to have. Yeah, and then he can drill down and kind of nail down the details of the business and succeed at the kind of the blocking and tackling. Um, you know, is there what? Did, what, what was your thoughts on that? Where he kind of the, learned the nitty gritty of of the restaurant business without really having much in the way of of experience in the in the industry. So Mark has a bias for action. He 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 never talked about well. Okay, I studied this industry for nine months and I tried to figure out all the ins and outs of it. He sort of looked at it. He he probably did do uh, probably some more research into it than he he let us believe. But at the same time, he stopped that at some point in time and took the first step to build and start his business because he realized you learn so much more by doing than by actually studying. And I thought a great example of that was when he was talking about the restaurant business and having to get the septic tank pumped out every three months and having to get the exhaust fan system clean because of state regulations every four months. I will guarantee you things like that are never in a business plan for a restaurant unless the person worked in that restaurant business prior. And uh, most people don't. They're starting their first restaurant and they overlook those expenses and cost. And I think that's a, that's also a good lesson. You only find those things by actually doing them. And, you know, one of the... Well, if you I was just going to say, Mike, uh, one of the interesting things and one of the interesting lessons here is every industry has its subtleties. Uh, You know, the numbers add up across various different industries. Two plus two is four everywhere. Uh, But each industry has little subtle things about it that you don't understand and you don't know unless you've worked in that industry. And this is a great example uh, that Mark uh, Mark brought up on, you know, getting the septic system pumped or getting these, meeting all of these regulations that most of which he never heard of before in his life. So that's why it's important to sort of reach out to someone. If you're thinking about starting a business in an industry you're not familiar with, reach out to someone who works in that industry or go intern there for a period of time, get some experience and sort of understand. Nice. Another thing that I thought was interesting with Mark was um, the kind of overcoming the obstacles that would find their way into his path. I thought, you know, he didn't get into Syracuse School of Architecture and the young woman he moved to Potsdam for broke up with him. And that didn't even phase him. He just kept plowing through it. I mean, you know, I'm I don't know, um, emotional mess sometimes maybe, right? And things like that would really throw me for a loop for for quite a while. Um, at least the the 18-year-old version of me. Um, uh, do you see that in other entrepreneurs? Is that a common trait, Bela? 
Well, I think resiliency is important because uh, life is full of the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey is full of many obstacles. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think you're absolutely right about Mark. I, I can think of many individuals who, you know, want to be an architect or want to be a doctor and don't get into med school or don't get into architectural school. And then they're lost for three or four years. They're, they're devastated because that was their dream. And I think Mark, again, going back to, I can provide customer satisfaction. I can make people happy across many different, there's many different ways of doing that. Uh, I think is is part of that strength that helps him move past those things. Uh, let's see. Oh, well, the other thing I want to say that I think is really interesting is, and I've experienced this, and and maybe you have as well, that when you teach something, that's when you really learn it. And I think this is one of the the great things that it works for Mark as well. He's teaching entrepreneurship. And by teaching it, I think he's learning more and more about entrepreneurship that then he can apply to his businesses and his endeavors. Agreed. All right. That was a good, uh, a good interview. I'm glad we did it. I hope our listeners really enjoyed that. Well, we're really happy that you joined us in our podcasting adventure for this week. And we hope you found the last hour interesting and thought provoking. We have, as usual, two small requests. One, if you have questions about what we've discussed, suggestions about topics or potential guests, get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And second, if you like what we're doing, hit subscribe or like on your podcast app and even be radical and uh, consider writing a quick review. If you know others that might find this interesting, please share us with them. So that's it for this week. Thanks for spending time with us. And we look forward to you joining us in our next episode. Hey, Mike, see you next week. Thanks, Bela. See you next week. This podcast is produced for Mike and I by our friends at Busy Media of Schenectady, New York. They can be found at busymedia.co.